0: Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. Happy Tuesday. Uh, we have more good news to report on uh, Uncle Jimmy. His recovery is, is tracking well, uh, although this morning he was actually uh, wearing the same t-shirt he had on the day before. Uh, he gets all dressed up to do a Skype uh, interview with us yesterday. Uh, But he's, you know, he's a mess. It's all a charade. He's a mess. Uh, But he's doing well. And I'm going to make a prediction. Uncle Jimmy's going to be back in studio on Monday, rip, raring to go. And uh, we're excited about that. We'll hear from him again today at the end of the show. We'll see... uh, If he gets all dressed up at home, uh, he he doesn't do that in the mornings, but for some reason to come on this show via Skype, he gets all dressed up. But we'll we'll get to Uncle Jimmy uh, later in the show. He'll have a review of the work that I do here today. Uh, We have a fantastic show planned for you. The smartest man on the show, Delano Squires, is going to join us. Uh, Our authority on sports, Greg Couch, he's going to join us from Chicago. I think he uh, watched... um, The Monday night football game last night. Jameis Winston had a big performance. Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars took on the Saints. We'll discuss that. But uh, we're going to start with the fire that I started last night actually on Tucker Carlson's program. Uh, I, I went on Tucker's show to talk about the column and the monologue I did yesterday about Bill Maher and about the left's addiction to Donald Trump. And I made a passing comment. Not a passing comment. It was a very direct comment, but it was one. And I said it on the show like, man, this is hard to unpack in a brief uh, television interview. And so, you know what? I said I would unpack it here. I I made the comment that, uh, you know, a lot of what the left supports is satanic. And I'm gonna double down on that right here today. A lot of what the left supports is satanic. I said that Monday evening on Tucker Carlson's Fox News program. Some people loved the comment, some people hated it, others were confused. Tucker got it, he agreed with me. It's difficult to unpack such a provocative and complex thought inside a short television segment. Let me unpack it here, where I got all the time in the world let start here. Abortion, it's satanic. The left views abortion as a central right in its political platform. As a Christian, I'm uncomfortable supporting abortion as a right. I believe God objects to abortion. I don't think the government should be helping finance abortion. I don't think there should be Planned Parenthoods in every community, particularly the black community. But before I move on, Let me add a bit of context and some transparency. 15 years ago, after a night of drinking, I engaged in unprotected sex with a friend. She became pregnant. She never informed me. She moved back to her hometown and had an abortion. She told me a year later what had happened. At the time, I felt a mixture of sadness and relief. I did not want to have a child outside of marriage. I had no interest in marrying the woman I impregnated. At the time, I was quite promiscuous. I share all of this because I want you to fully grasp my point of view. I, like you, I'm a sinner. I have no interest in redefining my sins as virtues or sound pragmatic decision-making. Sex outside of marriage is sinful and therefore rooted in Satanism. Every time I've done it, It's been wrong and satanic. My problem with the left is its aspiration to redefine every form of sin as a natural desire we should not tame. Do what thou wilt is the unstated overarching theme of progressive politics. Do what thou wilt is the primary tenet of the Thelema occult established by English writer, Aleister Crowley a Satanist. Do without will means to seek out and follow your true path and will. Let me translate that for you. If you were born a biological man, but feel like a woman, go for it. Seek out your true destiny. That's why Tucker Carlson responded to my declaration that a lot of what the left supports is Satanic by mentioning the transgender issue. Here's my exchange with Carlson last night. Take a listen for yourself. I see a lot of what's going on here is, and I'm just sorry, I, I'm a man of faith. I was raised in the church. Th- this stuff is satanic. That, that's what's at the foundation of a lot of this stuff.
1: Well, I'm a pretty mild Protestant personally, but
0: I completely agree with you, especially the gender stuff. When you say you can change your own gender by wishing it,
1: you're saying you're God and that is satanic. I, I completely agree.
0: All sin is satanic. I don't wanna pick on people with gender dysphoria. Gluttony, it's satanic. You've seen me, you're looking at me now. You know I struggle with gluttony. My unhealthy eating habits are sinful. I don't support gluttony, it's wrong. It bothers me that the left is trying to normalize obesity. The singer Lizzo, she is not healthy. She's not sexy or happy with her weight. I'm not saying this to fat shame her or myself. I'm saying it because it's the truth. Our eating habits are satanic. Let me give you another example. Marxism, it's satanic. You don't have to accept my interpretation of Marxism. You can go read the words and the philosophy of Karl Marx for yourself. The German philosopher argued that religion is the opium of the people. In his Communist Manifesto, Marx attacked Christianity, writing, quote, The social principles of Christianity declare the, all the vile acts of the oppressors to be their punishment for the original sin and other sins, or trials which the Lord, in his infinite wisdom, ordains for the redeemed. I mention Marx and his political ideology because the founders of Black Lives Matter are self described trained Marxists. BLM's stated goal of disrupting Western civilization's nuclear family structure is an affront to God. The traditional nuclear family is taken straight from the Bible. Marxism, communism, and socialism all object to religion in general and Christianity in particular. The left supports Black Lives Matter and the Marxist principles at the root of disrupting traditional family structure as prescribed in the Bible. Corporate media, it's satanic. Its reliance on false narratives makes it the perfect companion for wickedness. Satan opposes the truth. He uses deception to foment division and chaos. Am I calling individual journalists, reporters, pundits, broadcasters satanic? No, I'm not. I'm saying they work within a system that purposely deceives the public, and they know it. Black Lives Matter is a perfect example. Everyone knows that police are not systemically and or randomly executing Black men. The raw data conclusively refutes the ridiculous narrative. On average, police kill a tiny number of US citizens per year, especially when you consider how heavily armed we are here. Police kill roughly 1,100 people per year. About 450 of those victims are white and approximately 250 of them are black. The number of those victims who are unarmed and pose no threat is minuscule. But the mainstream media has spent the past decade pretending that every traffic stop is a life-or-death experience for Black people. Based on media coverage, you think Black people run in panic every time we see a police officer? Oh my God, the police! The police! I gave not to the police! Call a gangster disciple! Call the Bloods and the Crips! Save me from the police! That's what the media pretend like, oh, my God, my father carried a 38 revolver every day of his life. It wasn't to protect him from the police. But I, get, I look at a lot of these people on TV. I'm like, what hood have they ever been in? There what little conversations about, oh, my God. Detective Armstrong may come down here and shoot me. Oh, I hope Officer Friendly ain't tripping tonight when we go to the skating rink. I'm do you, you remember going to the skating rink and worrying about whether Pookie and him was gonna act up and be shooting out in the parking lot? That's reality. Everybody that lives in any community, but particularly black inner city communities knows that's the damn reality. Why are we lying and pretending like some police officer is rolling through there doing drive by shootings? Black Lives Matters is a deranged conspiracy theory group. The media uses Black Lives Matters for ratings and clicks. Working in conjunction with corporate media, the political left uses BLM and black celebrities to promote fear, racial division, and political allegiance. Rather than debate ideas, the left smears its opponents with allegations of racism that are supported by false narratives popularized within corporate media. Corporate media is satanic. I'm sorry, deal with it. The Bible is rather clear on the subject of fear. Corporate media fear mongers constantly. There are countless verses warning believers not to be controlled or manipulated by fear. My favorite verse on fear is, is a popular one. 2 Timothy chapter one, verse seven. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind but perhaps more important than the avoidance of fear is God's desire for us to seek and follow the truth wherever it leads. It's the open hostility to the truth that reveals the left's satanic leanings. Only the left denies that the breakdown of family structure is at the heart of the problems confronting black America. Only the left believes stopping police misconduct with black resisting criminal suspects should be a higher priority than restoring the black family. The BLM lie, it's satanic in root and result. It prioritizes death by lightning strike and baits black people to ignore confronting the far more common causes of our deaths And failures. A lot of what the political left supports is satanic. I admit the satanic nature of my gluttony and other sins. I wish the left would own, acknowledge, and repent their sins. (sighs) Now that's a fire, even if I do say so myself. Our main man Delano Squires is just around the corner. But before that, I want to take care of some business. (laughs) It's here, finally. After yesterday's show, we finally received our long-awaited barbecue grill at the studio, and you all, (laughs) you know what? That means we're about to get down here at the Fearless Studios, and nothing to get down with better than with our new grill, than our good friends from Good Ranchers and the meat they provide. We still have plenty of steaks and chicken to throw on that grill and then they sent us and I can't wait to showcase to everyone how great their food truly is, particularly with me cooking. It's 100% American farm-raised food options that your local grocery stores can't compete with. If you subscribe, you will get $20 off and free express shipping, get steakhouse quality for less than $5 per meal, go to goodranches.com fearless to get $20 off and free shipping. That's goodranchers.com fearless. Maybe I'll invite you to join us here at the studios and get some of my Good Ranchers cooking. All right, welcome back. Time to roll out to Washington, D.C. And touch base with the smartest man on the show, Delano Squires. Professor D, as we like to call him, Delano has written a column about Larry Elder being smeared by the Los Angeles Times. But we're going to start and get Delano's reaction uh, to the column I wrote today and the monologue I just delivered here. The fire started I just delivered here. Delano, let's start here. Do you agree with my position? That's what the left supports is oftentimes
2: satanic. Yeah, that that is a fire starter. Um, I think in in, in many respects it (laughs) is, and I'll say this, I think it's important to start, um, biblically speaking, by saying that the greatest sin is that of unbelief. So regardless of a person's political party or political positions, um, the Bible teaches that those who who don't believe that Christ is Lord and Savior and he was sent by God to, you know, pay for the sins of humanity, um, that those people, regardless of what um, belief system they espouse or how moral they are, they are standing in opposition to um, God and God's will. So as a, as a baseline, I think it's important to say that because sometimes people will say, well, Jason, if you, if you say what the left supports is satanic, then you are inferring that what the right supports is righteous. And I. I, I think about, you know, I think about Christianity as a whole bird religion, so to speak, not left wing or right wing, right? Because Christ is overall. all. So th- that being said, I think those some of the positions that you talked about in your piece definitely are um, dark and, 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 you know, sort of can be characterized in, in that language in terms of being satanic and against God's will. So whether that's um, abortion or the eradication of what we have always known as sex or gender, um, the the dismissal of natural marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Uh, I do think a lot of, of that agenda um, is in direct opposition to what uh, Christians and not just Christians, just people of different you know most religious um, traditions, uh, hold many of those 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 issues as as core principles and core tenets. So, uh, I, I would agree with that assessment in, in many respects.
0: You you made a nice point that I think we need to elaborate on, because you're right. I, I'm looking at people respond to my column online, and and they're like, "Well, oh, oh are you saying the Republicans or the conservatives do everything right? No, I'm not." Uh, Not at all, and and anybody that's followed me or listened to me knows that, you know, I'm apolitical, I'm a non-voter, I'm not caping up for any group in terms of politics, in terms of what party you should support, but I'm not going to sit here and act like I got blinders on and can't see that one side of the political army seems to consistently be on the side of do whatever makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. No restraints. No, if you have a desire, it's okay, and we must normalize it. And we must. And, and again, because I have a desire, and I, I that's why I admitted in the piece, I have a desire to eat double cheeseburgers three, four times a day. Right. It's it's gluttony. It's sinful, satanic behavior. God does not want that for me, and so I should. Obtain that. I have a desire for promiscuous sex. There are a lot of ramifications and negative things that God wants me to avoid. But but that that's this isn't about all oh, the right or true. I, I'm I'm, at, I'm suggesting to anybody if you've chosen God, Jesus, Christianity, because that that's what I know best. I can't. I I know a little bit about some other religions, Uh, but but if you've chosen that, I, I just think you have to look at these things that the left is promoting. And I can't off the top of my head immediately think of things that the right is promoting that are this obvious in objection to God's will. Maybe I'm wrong.
2: So I I know exactly the types of um, pushback you would get, right? Someone on the left would say, the right's position on immigration is unbiblical and satanic, right? The Bible says you should welcome the alien and and care for them. But again, I I know very few Republicans who are completely against immigration. The question is, um, what type of immigration policies will we have? And that's that's a matter for political debate. That's a political question. Um, I think if, if I had to sum it up in one example, right, um, I, I use a, a parenting analogy. There's no parent, regardless of how strict, how much of a disciplinarian, how loving, how reinforcing they are, that can guarantee that their children won't misbehave. The question is always, what is the response? And when you're in a supermarket and you see a kid fall out and have a tantrum for no reason, and one, one parent says, it's okay, Jimmy, you know, you can have whatever you want. I know I wasn't moving quickly enough and so on and so forth. You take that as a very different response than a parent that responds to that type of behavior with more strict discipline or with correction. And I think the difference between the left and the right in this instance is that the left takes everything that for centuries people have said, okay, this is good, this is bad. The left takes all the things that people have said are abnormal or wrong or immoral and they make excuses for it and they try to justify it in the name of diversity uh, or inclusion or um, uh, empathy. Whereas the right would take some of the same things and say, okay, we, we acknowledge that these things exist, but we don't want to normalize that behavior. Um, and I think that's that's the biggest difference between the two. You see this, and and i'll I'll use another example, Jason. This is a more tangible example. You see this in in the um, different responses to to crime across the country, right? Most of the cities that we heard about last year in terms of having the crime spikes were um, democratically led cities. Now it's not to say that Republicans didn't have spikes in crime, but generally speaking, the response of a, a Republican mayor to a 50% increase in homicides and shootings, is not to say we should defund the police, right? So the left consistently um, supports, encourages, or defends positions um, that only make some of the problems that we're talking about grow worse and worse over time.
0: I, I love your point about immigration and using that as as what I would hear from a conservative person, and, and that's the first time I've heard it, but I'm glad you made me aware of it because it, it, it I think it works as a perfect analogy to buttress the point that you just made, that no, with immigration, we think it's a good thing. But I think people on the conservative side think like, now there needs to be rules and regulations and constraints, and there needs to be a process and and a system put in place that governs how much immigration you have, who you allow to immigrate into your country and things like that. And I would say, the analogy I'm about to make, it's no different than what God says about sex. It's a good Hmm. thing. But here's some things that need to govern your behavior. Here's some limits you need to place around it. Here's some things you need to do to make sure the person you're engaging in sex with is someone who's committed to you and you guys are sharing this as a loving uh, experience within marriage. And, And again, these things are good and healthy and lead to, I believe, a great family, the proper raising of kids, and a great family eventually leads to a great neighborhood. A great neighborhood mm-hmm. eventually leads to a great community, a great city, and then a great nation. And so th- there's benefits to governing sex. There's benefits to governing immigration. And what right. I, and just following up on your point, what what you're saying is like, the left in my view, it's trying to normalize sin. Anything you want to do is normal and should be accepted.
2: It's what you feel. Do what thou wilt. Right. Yeah, I, I you, you could see this last week, you know, when when OnlyFans announced that it's no longer going to you know allow pornographic content. And, you know, most of the people on the right celebrated and said, that's great because you know, pornography is inherently degrading both to the producers of it and the consumers of it. And, you know, it, it violates sort of the our bodily telos, right? The, the purpose of our bodies. And so, so they they have all different types of, of both political, cultural, metaphysical reasons for being against pornography. But then I saw a response from, you know, Representative Cori Bush, who we've talked about before here. And her position was OnlyFans is betraying the people who help Grow its platform. And, and it's true, OnlyFans did grow, I think, a lot because of some of the content when I was on there. And then she finished off by saying, you know, sex work is work, which is a, a well known mantra on the left. And again, wh- whatever degrades, whatever promotes dysfunction, they will find a way to say, we, we should normalize these things. Because at the end of the day, the left has no governor, right? And when I say that, I mean small g, which you would use to limit the speed on a car. There's never anything that where the left says, no, that's too much. When it comes to any of the issues we're talking about, there's never a too far or too much. So, you know, again, going back to an issue like like gender and gender identity, even the notion of introducing these, uh, you know, transgenderism or uh, uh, being non-binary or you know, these different types of terms and, and ideas, even in tr- introducing it to grade school children isn't is not a bridge too far for them, um, and and all of those things have an effect on a society and a culture, because generally speaking, whatever you reward, you get more of, and whatever you correct or punish, you get less of, and the left consistently rewards you know the types of things that that we're that we're talking about and and. I don't think it's any coincidence that you see um, the practice of witchcraft and atheism and secular humanism um, growing on the left, and traditional biblical Christianity declining. Um, I can't think of many self-identified sort of biblical Christians. So when I say that, I mean, they, they believe that the Bible is authoritative, that it's, inher- that it's um, infallible, that it's inerrant, and it's historically accurate. I can't think of many of those people on the left um, who have a national profile within the Democratic Party or within sort of mainstream culture. Um, all, almost everyone who takes those types of positions, whether again, traditional marriage or um, you know th- there being such a thing as male and female, all of those people have been sort of painted as conservatives in, in today's culture.
0: Delana, I'm going to continue beating a dead horse, maybe, or I'm going to keep belaboring this point because I want people to fully understand it. And and so I want to legalize you to say whatever you want. You're not going to be shaming me or anybody when I make this next (laughs) reference. But I'm going to go directly to my column because one of the things that has really bothered me in the last couple of years is like this Lizzo comes out of nowhere, this singer Lizzo. Mm. And she looks to be... 300 320 pounds or so and and I'm looking at Mainstream media and the left try to normalize her obesity Obviously I have an obesity problem Again, I don't want this normalized. I don't think it's healthy and it's like everything they seem to be pushing seems to be connected to death and because again the, the lifespan of overweight people much shorter. I mean, that's just a fact. So I don't understand why there would be any motivation, any uh, how someone could see it as healthy. Hey, let's tell overweight people that uh, this is great and they shouldn't feel any w- sort of way about it, and and you should feel good about uh, being overweight. And you go, girl, or you go, Jason. It's crazy, and it. That's where I go to the satanic deal is because like with the and again, I've lived a promiscuous lifestyle. I'm not talking about things that I'm not put, wagging a finger like I'm free of these sins. But again, it's not healthy. We see all the complications from one of the main reasons why marriages are have a much shorter lifespan than they used to is because everybody just thinks that. They should be Hugh Hefner and should be swingers. And, <laughs> and, and it's all of this stuff. And, and again, the promiscuous lifestyle. When you go to these neighborhoods that have a bunch of kids outside of marriage, what do you see in those neighborhoods? Shootings and death. Everything, mm. <laughs> to, everything they seem to be promoting seems to lead to death. And that's why I call it satanic. And that's why I think it's unhealthy for, for us to be trying to pretend like Lizzo is some sort of sex symbol and that overweight little girls should aspire to be Lizzo.
2: Yeah, I, I think that, that gets, again, to one of those main differences between, uh, and, and when I say right and left, I'm not talking about politics, but just sort of a cultural orientation, is that the left sees, sees someone who's stuck in a ditch and their response is, I'll help you stay. And the right sees someone who's stuck in a ditch and their response is, I wanna help you get out. And I thought about that last year in the height of COVID, right, a virus um, in which significant majorities of the people who who died, unfortunately, um, had comorbidities. And some of those were directly related to um, obesity, whether it's you know diabetes or hypertension, and in the and in the midst of that pandemic, there was a magazine that ran an article with two covers. Both of them had uh, overweight women on them, one black, one white, and the um, sort of you know the 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 headline was, "This is what a healthy body looks like," and they did that in the midst of of the coronavirus pandemic. Because again, there's there's no there's nothing there's there's no sense of going too far on on the left, and you're right. Um, a lot of these things uh, lead to death. Some directly. You, you talked about um, abortion, right? Some indirectly. Uh, if when you convince an entire generation of, or or you try to affirm an entire you know generation of boys that they may actually be girls. Um, that's that's another way to to lead to death because you stop the next generation from being able to be propagated. And that's at the end of the day, regardless of what country you live in, that's always the job. This generation has to propagate the next generation. And when you have increasing shares of of our younger populations who don't even know who they are and the people who want to care for people in, in, in that state by affirming their actual God-given bodies and their God-given identities, when those people are called hateful and bigots, um, what you get is just going to be chaos. And, it, and, and my prediction is that in 10 to 15 years, we're going to have a critical mass of young people who look back at us and our generation, the adults in this generation, and say, why did you let me do that to myself? Because they are going to be ex- experiencing regret and shame because they would have um, cut off healthy breast tissue and and their genitals and when they wake up and realize, no, I actually am a boy, I actually am a girl, um, they're going to harbor a lot of contempt and resentment to our generation because we were so cowardly that we wouldn't tell them the truth.
0: I'm going to ask this question, and I hate asking okay. questions that I don't have a great answer for myself. Uh, You know, I probably got an answer, but I I just don't know if it's great. And so I'm wondering if you have a theory on why so many people. And I think this goes across white, black, whatever. But but I think it is particularly acute amongst us as black people. Why have we separated our religious views from our political views? Why do we Hmm. and I know that, you know, there's a separation of church and state. But that's for institutions and government. <laughs> I don't think, as people, I, I think our religious views should be the lens we see everything through. I mm. don't think we say, ah, well, when it comes to politics, I'm going to set this aside. And right. now I'm just going to do whatever's going to put two or three pieces of silver in my pocket. Uh, hmm. that's what I'm gonna support politically. Wh- why are people so comfortable separating their political views or their religious views from their political views?
2: That's a great question. Uh, I, I think it's a, a complex set of factors, right? Um, and particularly in, a, in our community where um, religious leaders have often been at the forefront of you know our fight for uh, to have our dignity recognized and, and to have our, our rights recognized. Um, I think part of it is that the, the leadership class, particularly the, you know, the religious leadership class um, within black America is completely compromised. Um, they have long, many of them have long ago stopped preaching the, the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus Christ. And they are entirely uh, beholden to sort of a, a social gospel which is all about uh, resources and, and, and you know, money and political power. Uh, for themselves and, and you know, for th- some of their supporters. So I think part of it is that, particularly in our community, we're just being poorly led and poorly taught spiritually and poorly nourished. Um, and I think you see that malnourishment coming out in some of the behaviors that we're talking about. Um, but I also do think that some people um, just generally separate their, you know, they take the separation of church and state to mean a separation of faith and politics uh, and I think that's a bad move. Um, before this past election, there was a, a brother uh, who's I think is up in the Pacific Northwest, who I follow, um, and he's a pastor of the church. And he said something that that stuck with me. And he said something to the effect of, "I don't have political views. I have theological views that at times intersect, you know, with with our, you know, political structures." And I thought that was a really good way to frame both what he was you know, articulating, and also what, what I try to live out, right? It's not the, the, in my world, even the Constitution has to bow its knee to the Bible. Um, so when, when faced in real life or in the ballot box with the question, um, who is it that reigns supreme, Christ or Caesar, I always go with the former. Um, but I think a lot of us have gotten used to seeing politics itself as a form of religion, and uh, elected officials, in some ways, as, as you know, minor and major prophets. Um, and I think you you see the result of that, uh, you know, in the world that we live in. Um, these are people who encourage us not to look to our sort of common and shared values, but to our individual identities. Um, and we're a culture that is engulfed in narcissism. So when you see, you know, America in 2021 in the West, more generally speaking, um, I, I think of us sort of, you know, if if, if we were likening the, the passage of time to someone driving in a vehicle, our heads are pointed down at our navel and back into into the past. And then we wonder why we're not progressing as a people uh, and, and we wonder why all of our cars seem to be crashing into each other and and why the the highway seems so clogged up. It's because we're not looking at the right things. We're not focused on the right things. And um, I think, as I said, in many respects, you know the separation of values from political positions is one that the left is very, very good um, at pushing on on the culture and particularly in the black community. I was I was talking to a friend this morning, and I asked him, I said, how many, 80-year-old black women who attend church every Sunday and Bible study every Wednesday, do you actually think, agree with males being able to compete in women's sports? And he was like, probably very few, if any. So I said, of course not. Right? And you can go down the list of those types of policy issues. And, 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 when you, and if you list them and you ask a person, do you, do you agree with this? Do you agree with this? They'll say, no, no, I don't agree with that. And then you get to the end, you say, well, why do you vote for this particular party? And I think many of them would be hard pressed to give you an answer outside of, well, Republicans are racist. (laughs)
0: Delano, you wrote a, a terrific piece on Larry Elder, who's running for governor in the state of California. Larry Elder, a popular radio host, a popular conservative black man for many years, Gavin Newsom is being recalled there and and it looks like Larry Elder may be the front runner and has an actual chance to replace Gavin Newsom as the governor of California. And so that has set off uh, the attack from the mainstream media and the Los Mm -hmm. Angeles Times had a piece written that they headlined something about uh, Larry Elder is the face of white supremacy, you've been warned. The black face of
2: white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And
0: yeah, the black face of white supremacy, you've been warned. I read it and was like, wow. Just as a journalist, I was offended like, this is where we're at in the newspaper industry. But but I want to ask you first and foremost, do you think the author of this story actually believes that Larry Elder is a black face of white supremacy,
2: given the the trajectory of um, of thought of our media class, I would probably say yes. Um, the the people who write for the New York Times, who write columns, you know, for the New York Times, the L.A. Times, the Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, um, m- many of them like this is their worldview. They think that there are a certain set of policies that all or most you know, good thinking black people ascribe to, and that anyone who challenges those things must be doing the bidding of racist white conservatives. I really believe that that's, that's what they think. And you can see it even in the use of language, right? 30 years ago, if you said someone is a white supremacist or is promoting white supremacy, you had a, a decent picture of what the, 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 the accuser was talking about, right? Um, and it's not just, burning crosses on lawns or, or hate crimes, but you know, someone who's actually articulating uh, the view that you know, white people, people of European descent are genetically or um, you know, in some way superior to people of African descent. That was sort of the working definition. But by the time the, you know, the National African American History Museum comes out and they characterize whiteness or white culture or white supremacy as, you know, including, you know, meritocracy and objectivity and rational thought and delay gratification, nuclear family, you can see how our language has been stretched to the point where um these words don't really have the same definition. So I, I could see the author believing those things about Larry Elder. But, and this is, this is, I touched on this in the article a little bit, but this is one of the other issues that I have with the piece, is that the people who write these things think that they're being profound, but their work is often, you know, some of the most mediocre work out there because they take assertions and they act as if they're facts. They don't, they don't argue, they don't debate, they don't say, here's Larry Elder's position on school choice, and here's why it is actually anti-black. They just make a claim and they just assume everyone will um, go along with it. And oftentimes they can do that because a lot of the mainstream does go along with it, right? Um, so people, whether it's this author or ta Coates or Hannah Cole Jones or Ibram Kendi, these are not particularly sophisticated thinkers. These are people who who squeeze all of life through a narrow racial lens. And when they see for instance, call it between 15 and 20% of black men vote for Donald Trump, the only thing that they have in response to that is, oh, they're doing that because they want to be white or they want access to the white power structure or the white patriarchy. So um, the effect is that it has made the rest of the culture a lot dumber than we used to be. Um, Our senses have been dulled. And now it's not just the people who write for the Washington Post who think this way. It's your sort of garden variety, you know, nonprofit administrator, school teacher, person on the street, Um, our society has sort of been infected by this, uh, you know, lack of mastery and, and, you know, our immersion in, in mediocrity. And this is, and one last thing, this is one of the reasons why schools should not lower standards of performance and evaluation, because what you do is you churn out people who all they can write is this type of stuff. So Larry Elder disagrees with Black Lives Matter. Therefore, he must be a racist and a white supremacist. And and it, it's not, it's not just inflammatory, but it's it's boring, right? And I'd rather read things that challenge me to think about new perspectives than things that just, you know, affirm what it is that I felt in the beginning.
0: You know, a piece, I, I guess, like this creates a clickable headline. Mm-hmm. And so, ooh, I, I guess it gives the L.A. Times the appearance of being edgy and provocative. But how about just being fair? Hmm. And, and what happened to like Larry Elder? As best I know. Never committed any crimes. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't people running around saying, oh, my God, he slap me or spit on me or call me this name or that I I just don't Larry Elder has his set of political beliefs but I don't think anybody's making any legitimate allegations that he's been harmful to anybody in America and so I just don't understand how as the editor and, and, and Kevin Merida uh, who who worked at the Washington Post for a long time, celebrated black editor. He he replaced me at the undefeated at ESPN. He's now out in charge of the LA Times, and he's a black man. And I'm just like, how is this fair to Larry Elder, that we basically call him a KK Clay Klansman? And for what? Did, did, has he burned a cross? Has he? Harassed anybody has he I, the unfairness of it is just breathtaking to me, and that our news organizations that are supposed to be arbiters of a community and voices of authority that are passing information along to the community so they can make informed choices and, and and I just, whoever the woman was that wrote the article, I was like, what are her qualifications? She doesn't seem to be a deep thinker. She certainly can't construct uh, substantive arguments because I read the piece, and just like you said, there was no substance there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the whole thing made me think, because I'm the author, uh, Kevin Merida. Uh, the L.A. Times, leftists just in general, I believe, are anti-black. Mm. And, and, and I say that just because that's like putting this whole conversation we've had, wrapping it all together from, from the very beginning of our conversation 30 minutes ago to now. Everything that the left seems to support, I'm just telling leads to death and it leads to black death. And it, it, it promotes the, the, the left's love affair and, and just adamant defense of gangster rap hip hop culture that mm-hmm. is just negative and promotes values that lead to death. Everything that they seem to support and be in love with seems to promote death for black people. And it makes me think that they're the actual racist the black and the white ones. They don't mm. like black people.
2: They certainly don't like black people who express views that they don't approve of. And, and that's one of the things I said in the article, right? The, the left doesn't have any problem with, with racism or racist attacks, as long as they're pointed in the right direction. So I gave many examples. I talked about Tamika Mallory, uh, who was one of the Women's March organizers and former head of National A- Action Network, who compared Daniel Cameron, the Kentucky AG, to uh, a sellout Negro because he didn't um, bring charges against the officers who were involved in Breonna Taylor's death? Um, I talked about Jamal Bryant, who's a mega church preacher in Atlanta, and he talked about the black folks who were at the Republican National um, Convention compared them to slaves who who um, didn't want to get free off the plantation. I mean, th- these these attacks are are fairly common. Um, they have a couple of effects. One, they chill speech in our community. And when I say that, I mean, it, it makes it a lot harder for just regular black people to say certain things out loud, because nobody wants to be slapped down and accused of being a tom or a sellout or a coon. Um, and that's why you don't really see much substantive debate in the black community, certainly not from the left or the right. It may be from the center left to the, to the hard left. But you, you don't really see a lot of actual debate, right? Where Glenn Lowry is sitting on a debate stage and talking about crime in urban America with Michael Eric Dyson. You, you don't typically get those things. Um, but as it relates to substance, as you said, they, they, they're afraid to stand on substance. So the left acts as a cultural border patrol for black America. And when they see certain people getting too close to the wall, right, where they may escape, They fire the bullets, they activate the tasers, they they turn on the electricity on the wall, and they say, no, we we won't allow you to leave. And when they see people on the other side trying to get in and spread a different message, they're even more vicious with with, with those people. So the left is all about, their love for, for black folk is contingent on our expression of their ideas. And their love for diversity is the type of superficial diversity right? Where you could say, oh, my vice president looks like me. But uh, as I've written up previous columns, yeah, you voted for Biden and Harris because um, VP uh, Kamala looks like you. But then that ticket turns around. And if you live in DC, the first thing they want to do is, is cut the, uh, the, the voucher program that your kids use to go to school. So when it comes to substance, and we can go down the line the the left undermines the the family in general, but particularly the black family, whether through policy, welfare policy, or through the type of cultural norms that it promotes. Uh, it promotes abortion in our communities. Um, Planned Parenthood is one of its biggest funders and biggest supporters. And the Planned Parenthood itself has partnered with the NAACP, they've partnered with BET to honor members of the Congressional Black Caucus, right? So they don't want us to get married and and Jason, if I was really being cynical, I would say part of the reason that they undermine the family is because they know that, quote unquote, unwanted pregnancies are the raw materials that Planned Parenthood uses to to power it, the abortion industry. Because generally speaking, uh, married women do not abort their children because when a man and a woman come together in in union before God and family, they typically are committing to whatever comes out of that union. But when a dude and a chick who don't know each other get together, you know, and they have no commitment to one another, both of them say, you know what, I'd rather not do this right now. Um, you, you touched on that in your column, and, and again, they but for the grace of God go I, right? So they promote those things, and then the kids who make it here, right? They push uh, a, a gender identity radicalism on them from three years old, right? And then they try to trap them in schools. So when black parents say we're for school choice, we want to be able to control our children's education. The left says, no, the union should be in charge of your children's education. So all along the way, they promote things that work to the detriment of our community while smiling in our faces and telling us how much they love us. And in many respects, I've heard people talk, you know, about conservatives and white conservatives and racism, but if you ask me, I'd much rather deal with a dog than a snake. Because when a dog barks, you know not to to even enter the gate. But when a person has a snake in their house, the snake will be halfway up your leg, constricting your blood supply before you know it hits you. And next thing you know, you're passed out on the floor, and and you know, snake has his next meal. So, I, I don't buy this notion that the the, the left is pro black at all. And as you said, in many respects, they're anti black. And I just wish m- more people in our community would would see that reality.
0: Thank you, D. Great stuff, as always. Thank you. Appreciate it, we'll see you later in the week. All right, a few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet, that's what. Everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and used by third parties into a permanent public record, your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something that only celebrities worried about. But in the era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure, to keep my data private, when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get it protected. So, if you're like me, you believe that your data is your business. Secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com/fearless and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn. That's expressvpn.com/fearless. Go to expressvpn.com/fearless to learn more. Welcome back. Time to roll out to Chicago and talk to America's top sports writer, Greg Couch. What do you mean, America's top sports writer? America's top sports writer lives in Nashville. Uh, His name's Jason Whitlock. Let's go out and talk to the number two sports columnist in America, Greg Couch, out in Chicago. Uh, Greg, I think you watched uh, Jameis Winston and the Saints take on Urban Meyer And the Jacksonville Jaguars and it sounds like uh, based on the column you wrote you're not expecting big things from Urban Meyer in the NFL so let's start here you said that he already looks dour and sour and miserable over (laughs) under on how long Urban Meyer lasts in the NFL I'll
1: go with two years I think, you know, you're right, he already looked dour and sour. Uh, that look he had on, on his face, they kept going to him on the sideline yesterday, and the look on his face looked like he should be a Halloween mask. I mean, maybe even in the movie they should replace the hockey goalie mask with his face. I, I, you can't even explain it. I kept trying to figure out how to describe it because it looked like he had no expression while he was watching horror happen in front of him. You know, I, I just, I, I didn't even know how to explain it. But that's too... Preseason losses, and he's already like that. And we've seen from his past when he was a coach at Florida, when he was a coach at Ohio State, where he left because the stress got to him so much, and it affected his health. So if he's like that already after two preseason losses, you know that's terrible. I mean, his whole time at Ohio State, I think he lost nine games. He's going to lose more than that by Thanksgiving this year. So you know, I think you know it's 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 ugly. He, he's going to, I just he's not going to make it. I think he'll get through this year, and then by next year he'll already be looking for the escape hatch.
0: Mm. Uh, nine games by Thanksgiving—that would they might—that's talking <laughs> about them starting zero and nine, probably. I, I can't do the math on that, but hell, they're playing seventeen games this year, I believe. So you may be right. Uh, <laughs> the Jaguars look bad, but I think most people know it's a rebuilding project in Jacksonville. D- are, are, are you sure? Are, are are you sure he looked that miserable? Or is that just Urban Meyer's personality? Doesn't he always look miserable on the sidelines? <laughs> I,
1: I don't think that's his normal misery. I think that's more than his normal misery. I've talked to him before. He, he didn't seem that miserable. You know. But, uh, you know, okay, maybe, I'm, maybe I went too soon. Maybe it'll be Christmas. But you are right when you say everyone knows it's a rebuilding project. But I don't know that he accepts that in his heart. I mean, these coaches think that they're geniuses and they can figure it out. And I think that when they got, you know, the, uh, they they got Lawrence, they expected that they could win, maybe pull this or turn this around right away. So yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to accept it in his heart. That he's going to sit there for two years when he's an NFL coach instead of a college coach, and he's not, you know, in charge of every little tiny detail. I think it's going to, you know, flip him out. I I, I wish him well, uh, but I have a feeling it's not going to go well. The other point you made in your
0: column, and it's in the headline as well, is that, and it was an interesting point, that these college coaches that try to come to the NFL, and very successful, Nick Saban obviously came to the NFL, and one of the main differences between college and the pros is that Nick Saban gets to schedule two or three victories in his non-conference schedule, at at least two. Then there's a couple of – there's always a Vanderbilt in the SEC. Uh, There's always an easy victory or two. When Urban Meyer is in the Big Ten, you know, there's – he can beat up on the Indiana teams back in that time, Northwestern. Beat up on Michigan. Uh, (laughs) There's always some cupcake victories, and you only got to get up – three or four times a year to really have a great, great season. In the NFL, there are no cupcakes. Even the Cincinnati Bengals or whoever you think the worst team in the league is can rise up and beat you. Is that the difference, the biggest difference between college football and the NFL and maybe why some of these coaches struggle trying to transition to the NFL?
1: Well, you're right. There's no cupcakes in the NFL, I guess, although maybe the Jaguars are going to be one. But I really think the bigger issue is that these coaches have a different personality. I mean, a college coach is basically the god of the program, and the players do whatever he says, and and they listen to whatever he he wants. And when you go to the NFL, it's not the same. And I think they don't connect with those NFL players nearly as well as they do in the way that they want to connect, you know, the way they do with the college players. You know, you can't just boss around those NFL players the same way. So I think there's a sort of force of personality that's not working for these guys when they go from college to the pro. But, I mean, you are right about the cupcake thing, and there's just every little tiny detail is owned by the college coach or is not really owned by the NFL coach.
0: I'm sitting here trying to think of, you know, obviously Bill Belichick is treated like a voice of authority, Andy Reid. I would think in a different way, but I, I think he kind of gets his way with his with his Chiefs players, and so the successful coaches in the NFL, they get to kind of be the end all, be all. Uh, but but you know, I think it's harder to get to that mountaintop of having the kind of respect that Andy Reid has, the kind of respect that uh, Bill Belichick. But because now I'm sitting here thinking about Mike Tomlin, another guy who's long-tenured. But yeah. he kind he tends to clash with his players a little bit. But uh, anyway, let's move to Trevor Lawrence, their quarterback, who you also it came across you didn't seem that impressed with him or not sure he's
1: going to be a big deal in the NFL or with the Jaguars as well. I mean, not at first. I mean, he's... He's used to standing behind in a great a great offensive line at Clemson and, and having him block you know, all day long. He could probably put the ball down and tie his shoes in college and stand back up and wait for his receivers to get open. you know that's not going to happen now. He, he's got no offensive line. the running backs were only getting two and a half yards of carry. He had no time. they kept clobbering him last night so I, you know he doesn't just have this I mean I think he'll adapt to it but it's not just that the speed is faster it's that there's no line in front of him. So I mean, I'm not trying to say he doesn't have the ability. I think he does, and he could probably be really good. But someone's going to have to block. I don't care how good you are. If the offensive line is, you know, if offensive linemen all have the word "welcome" on their backs, I don't think it's going to work, no matter how great you are.
0: The the thing I've always thought about Trevor Lawrence, and and I, I'm prepared to be proven totally wrong on this. But I just—I was never that impressed in college. I think early on in his college career, freshman, so I, I was more impressed than I was later in his career. He kind of reminds me of uh, Blaine Gabbard when he was at Mizzou. When I saw Blaine Gabbard at Mizzou as a freshman, I was like, oh my god, this guy's going to be the next greatest thing. And then he never really got better the rest of his career at Mizzou. I thought he would become more accurate and things like that, and it just never developed for him. And that's kind of the way I felt about uh, Trevor Lawrence, to be honest with you. And I, I know I'm seeing things and suggesting things others, haven't they? I think people had him rated as the, one of the greatest NFL prospects ever on draft boards. He rated higher. All his intangible, or, uh, All his measurables and things like that make him the best QB prospect perhaps ever. I just never saw it. That's why I'm down on the guy. I just don't think he's that accurate. I don't know if he's going to be that accurate downfield. Uh, he kind of it's like Matt Ryan for a while, I was real high on Matt Ryan, uh, but couldn't keep it together long enough to become a great and Matt Ryan did have an MVP season uh, or MVP caliber season. Maybe he was MVP if, if I remember right here. It was MVP one year. All right, but the other guy that you didn't seem impressed with, Mr. Negativity here, uh, Jameis Winston, who completed 9 of 10 passes, and everybody's raving about Jameis Winston. He threw two touchdown passes. Uh, You weren't impressed.
1: Okay, maybe I'm being a little unfair there, all right? I mean, I've watched those two 40-yard, those passes they threw that went in the air 40 yards. One of them was just perfect. The one that was, you know, the Callaway caught both of them. I just sort of feel there was an element of luck there. And I think with Winston, he tends to just chuck the ball up there. And some days it's great and some days it's terrible. I sort of thought there, you know, Callaway caught one ball with one hand and the other one, it seemed like he was bumped into it, which allowed him to catch the ball on the ground. So I, I think those balls could have been picked off. But I'm probably being unfair there. I mean, but he had one good quarter against a terrible defense and he chucked two balls, you know, 40, 50 yards in the air and, and it took great, amazing catches to catch. But, I mean, it hit. I mean, it, it's like I said, maybe I should have more faith in him. It's just he's been around long enough now that I just feel like he should be more reliable. And I'm watching those going, yeah, that's never going to work. That's never going to work. That's, and then it works. And I so said, well, okay, so maybe I needed to buy in. But no, I'm going to stick with what I said. I, I, I don't believe in him. Maybe if he can keep this up for a few more games. I'll start having a little bit of faith. You know, I compare Jameis Winston to Gomer Powell. Uh,
0: (laughs) I used to do this impression of him when I used to be on PTI. I I wish I could call it up right now, Uh, but he does remind me, well, I'll be... (laughs) I can't do it right now. I used to be able to do it great on uh, uh, (laughs) PTI. Maybe I'll remember it and do it tomorrow, but... Wasn't he golly? I, th- I thought he said, well, I'll be Andy. Yeah. <laughs> golly, Andy, I don't know. He, I, anyway, Sergeant Carter. But when when, when Jameis Winston tried to eat those W's in the pregame speech, that's when he lost me. I do think if he's ever going to be great, it'll be with that Saints team playing in a dome with Sean Payton uh and if michael thomas gets healthy you know i think and alvin Kamara in the backfield there's enough weapons there'll be no excuses And they had a lot of weapons in in tampa as well but i don't think he ever got to work with a head coach as good yep. as sean payton so we shall see great you know what thank you very much oh,
1: okay go ahead i just want to say that this is what a sucker i am is that i went out to florida state to visit him once uh, and uh, I was gonna do an interview with him and there was a big room of crowded desks and I just said, oh, well, where should we talk? He started moving all the desks around and calling me sir and I thought, what a nice young man he is. He's gonna go on to great things. <laughs> you, you just fall for these things in 10 seconds, you know.
0: <laughs> That's why I compare him to Gomer Powell. That's something Gomer Powell would do. Hi, sir, how you wanna sit? Where you wanna sit? Let me move these desks around. I'll be, let's go get some crab legs. Anyway. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy's around the corner. He's better with impressions than I am. Go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Let's hear what Uncle Jimmy has to say. Nerds! Welcome. Welcome back. All right, time to roll out to Uncle Jimmy's crib. Let's see what he's wearing. You know, earlier this morning, he came to our little Zoom tele... Oh, now he's all dressed up. We have a morning meeting. Anyway, all right, he's all dressed up
3: again. Is this how you dress at home, Jim? Jason, let, let, let me... I think... Who was it? I think Primetime himself said it. He said, when you feel good, you play good. When you play good, you get paid good. What the hell is? Don't you understand about that?
0: Uh, what does that have to do with you wearing uh, a suit? When when you feel good, you play good. Were, were you supposed to include something that w- You look good at some point. Is that was that supposed to be a punchline in there somewhere?
3: Ain't no ain't no punchline. This is just how I look. If it's good to you, it just is what it is, man. Come on, don't hate the player, hate the game, <laughs> bro. <laughs> Hey, man, what they say, favor, favor uh, ain't fair, but it's Sean Fabulous. Okay? <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Man, you I have a hurt. take today? Anything on your mind today? I, 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 I hush the hell up. You the one talking all that crazy mess to me. Man, let me tell you something. I have got to hurry up and get back into this studio, man. I don't know what in the hell is going on with this show. You will start to act like some wild ass animal to just sit up and grab shit out your ass and just throw it just for the hell of it. You don't got to the point that you got Delano no. talking crazy. How in the hell? What, let, let me get this right. Now, first of all, Greg done just turned into the to the, the Pied Piper of doom and gloom. Ah, nobody likes Urban Meyer. Ah, oh, nobody likes uh, 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 this crazy boy that, that sucks his fingers. And did I hear hear Delano today? You could be sitting up in your house and a snake can run up on your leg and before you can get out, he done sucked all of your blood out. What the hell is wrong with (laughs) y'all? You sitting up here talking about, oh, I like triple cheeseburgers, but it's the same as Satanism. No, it ain't. It's called being greedy. What in the hell is wrong with y'all? I can't get back in that studio quick enough.
0: Jeez. Greed and gluttony are two of the deadly sins, I believe, Jim.
3: Okay. Okay, but trust me. It has nothing to do with immigration and sex, does it, Jason?
0: <laughs> it has Did you a lot do that? To do. that was a
3: great Did analogy. Did you do that? Stop it. If you it, man, have a listen. sports tape. Look, do I have a sports tape? Listen, let me tell you something. There's a, something's going on in the NBA world. Okay? You all you know Steph Curry, point guard for the Golden State Warriors. Well, I need you to know that right about now, Sonia Curry, the mother of Stephen Curry has become an f- unrestricted free agent. And she has now passed all waivers. <laughs> I need you to know that Uncle Jimmy is about to give up some first round draft picks to try to move up and get this. She's 55 years old, a Virginia Tech volleyball player, mother of two, got grandmother of four. Hey man, let me tell you, this is the hottest free agent to hit the market since Vanessa Bryan hit the market after that unfortunate helicopter accident. I'ma tell you something. We're gonna have a family feud in the Curry Household. Hey man, you remember that movie, baby boy? <laughs> hey man, remember that movie, baby boy? I'm telling you right yeah. now, I'm gonna shake up that curry household. Steph Curry gonna hit the game winning <laughs> shot, and he's gonna come home to tell his mama about it, and it's gonna be like that episode of Baby Boy. Roll that footage. Let me let me show you what. It is. Want some breakfast? That's right. Boy. <laughs> Is that Ding Steph- Rhames? <laughs> Steph gonna come in the kitchen and see Uncle Jimmy bucket booty naked, wearing his mama's house shoes, scrambling eggs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm just I hope that's not true because I'm putting together. <laughs> I've had my eye on that package for a long time, all the way back to when he was playing at Davidson. I can remember mm-hmm. I was at when he made that run, I was at that game because Kansas was in the same bracket as them. Sonia Curry is one of the greatest free agents to ever hit the market, even at age 55. Uh, we have that in common. So uh, <laughs> you'll be competing. There's a lot of competitors out there. Uh, sliding in her DMs, hitting her up on text messages, uh, and it's hey, you, like you mentioned H- uh, Vanessa Bryant, H- cause I, H- I promise Mama gotta you. Have
3: wife too.
0: <laughs> What'd she say? Mama gotta have a <laughs> wife too? Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. We're gonna let you go. Why? Uh, go back and put your t-shirt on and how you really dress. Quit trying to impress folks like you sitting around at home in a suit and tie. Hey, man. We'll see you tomorrow. Uh, Can we start playing tomorrow Uh, because that Vanessa Bryant comment because if you've seen all these NBA players caping up for Kobe and Kobe's the greatest thing in the world, a lot of that to me is like they trying to finesse their way in to Vanessa Bryant and all that money she's sitting on and all the rest that she's sitting on. (laughs) All right. There's tomorrow. I keep talking about tomorrow. Maybe I'm trying to finesse my way. (laughs) Anyway, we'll see you tomorrow.
3: My sister, no relation We all just wanna have freedom Sitting on the corner, never been alone i my back for freedom Bless, we are living, get back We are receiving, all seed when We all wanna be free We want freedom I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want, I wanna be I just want